I pray, Father, that your word would bring conviction and life. I thank you, Father, that we're free from condemnation. But Lord, let it bring conviction and life and strength to our faith and to believe you, Father, in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning, so I invite you to turn there with me. We're going to read several verses of Scripture together. Um, I have been talking about the church, which is the new man. The Bible calls the church the new man. You, by yourself, are not the church. You are a part of the church. You're one of the many, and it is the many that makes up the church. And so, therefore, Christianity is not an individual matter. So many people treat it as though it is. Um, they, they find ways to excuse themselves from serving God in the earth through the church. Uh, we have traditionally just fall back upon our traditions and our religions, and we just kind of do what's religious. And so maybe we give, maybe we don't give. Maybe we serve, maybe we don't serve. Maybe we'll do this, maybe we won't do that, because for the most part, for the last many decades or centuries, Christianity has been an individual matter. But it was never that in the mind of God. It is a new man, it is a body. The Bible also calls it a temple that is built unto the Lord where every stone is laid upon every stone, fitly joined together, and the Holy Spirit inhabits that temple. And there is an assignment for the church. There is a responsibility for the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about that this morning um, in an area that we all love to study and talk about, and that's about your giving. I know so you're going to be excited about that. And I want us to be, and I have to teach the whole counsel of God, right? So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, it says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. And I read those verses as we go into giving because he concludes with supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw yourself. And so if, if you were to look at what Paul is saying to Timothy, he is instructing Timothy on how to lead the church of Jesus Christ. And he goes through this about leadership. He talks about eldership. He talks about deacons in the church. And then he comes to this about teaching and sound doctrine and wholesome words and not disputing and not arguing and are splitting religious hairs, if you will. And then he sums it up by talking about those that suppose gain is godliness. And he, he stresses it in this way that if there are those people that are like that, withdraw yourself from them. That's pretty strong. And, and honestly, I would say that one of the most arguable issues in Christianity has been that which concerns giving and finances and tithes and offerings. People love to debate that. There are people that, that love to use grace in that point and say, oh, well, we're not under the law, so I don't have to give anymore. 
even though tithes and offerings were applied hundreds of years, even thousands of years before the law was ever given, the tithe was the practice of godly men and women. Um, And it was not simply something that was brought into the world because of the law. It's just the way men and women honored God throughout history. Um, And so we like to argue about that. Well, I don't have to give tithes. I can do whatever I want to do with my tithe. I can give however I want to give. And truly, you can. You, You really can. And, and there are consequences, though, to your giving, and there are consequences to your lack of giving, and you just have to know that. You can do whatever you want to do with what you have, but there are consequences to it. And so through this study this morning, I hope you will understand the consequences, and you can make godly choices for your life, all right? So he's talking about... These, these arguments, these questions, these strives of words. And he goes on and he says in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. So whatever you've acquired, whatever you've gained, you're not taking it with you. And it is amazing for even Christians how we love our things. And we find it very hard to, you know, forsake our things because we love them. But you're not taking anything with you. And so he says in verse 8, having food and clothing, let us be content with that. But they that will be rich have a lust for wealth. They that will be rich fall into temptation. So if you're desiring, you're motivated, you're moved, the primary thing in your life is acquiring wealth, you are very susceptible to an increased amount of temptation in your life. And it can be very, very dangerous. And so he says this, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust. And so just think about this. If there is a lust in you for money, if there is a greed in you to hold on to what you have, then number one, you're going to fall into temptation. You're, you're, You're falling into it. Number two, there's a snare. That means there are traps that are set for you, that you are susceptible to. And then many foolish and hurtful lust. Because when you have money, then you have access to fulfill your lust. That may be, and lust typically would be, perverted. And these drown men in destruction and perdition. And so the picture is drowning. How did I get here? What's happening to me? Who's going to save me? Who's going to rescue me? And all of this comes from that, that will to be rich, that pursuit of wealth or that greed to hold on to what I have. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not, but the love of money is the root of all evil. That is an amazing thing. The love of money is the root of all evil. And yet I wonder how many of us have seriously prayed recently in our life For the Holy Spirit to give us freedom from the love of money. How many times have people gone to counseling because there are evil things going on in their life? 
And the Bible says that the love of money is the root to it all. But how many counselors deal with the root? It is an amazing thing. It is a shocking thing to consider that very little repentance is ever done over the love of money. Very little counsel is ever based upon the love of money. Very few Christians ever repent about their love for money. When was the last time you did? And yet the Bible says it is the root of all evil. Imagine what could be purged from our life if God would give us the grace to be free from the love of money. And so it is the, it is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give you charge in the sight of God, who quickens all things, and before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach to, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And I keep reading that because he's still talking about money. Verse 17, charge them, warn them, instruct them that are rich in this world. I would say every one of us in this room are. So this is your warning. This is your instruction. Warn them or charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy that they do good. With your riches, number one, don't trust in them. They're uncertain. There's talk of a digital society. There's talk of an alliance between Russia and China and some Middle Eastern countries and Turkey. What if that happened? What if the, the, what if the U.S. dollar was no longer the monetary standard of the world? Everything you've got, what does it do to that? If we went to the digital dollar, everything you've got, what does it do to that? Your riches are uncertain. Don't trust in them. Trust in the living God. That is a hard thing. That shows us, it will show any Christian how weak or strong their faith is. That very thing. Because those of you with riches and all of you have it, do good. Do good with your riches. Be rich in good works. 
Be ready to distribute. Be willing to give. So how many of you give your tithes? How many of you give your offerings? How many of you give your alms? Through which we as a church help people pay their electric bills. Help people with their medication. Help people with family issues that are in their life. Because through that giving, we are now able to help one another. So how do you do that? Is that the practice of your life? Or do you trust in your riches? And your faith is in your riches. And it's very hard for you to part with them. And to help somebody that's in need. Or to help a situation, or to help a church outreach, or a mega sports camp. I can't invest in that. I can't give to a shoebox ministry for Christmas. I can't do those things. And so we excuse ourselves because really our faith is in our riches and not in our God. So Paul says to Timothy, charge those that are rich. Don't be proud. Don't trust in your uncertain riches. Trust in God and do good. Be rich in good works, distribute, be willing to give, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Don't clutch to your riches, lay hold of eternal life. And so this is the instruction. And so there is a trap. The Bible says that there is a snare to those that are rich or that love money. Or will to be rich. There's a snare and a trap and a temptation. And many hurtful lust. And destruction and sadness and drowning. And and guys you see that all the time. You, you, see, you see people who have. You know gone after the good life. Because if I can get money and I can have enough money. Then I can buy all of these wonderful things. And they go through divorces. And they, they have alcohol problems. They have drug problems. They've got children on drugs. They've got busted up families. And, and so forth like that. There's not a lot of joy and happiness. But people that are serving God. And God increases their riches. And God gives them richly all things to enjoy. But they're enjoying life. They're enjoying God. They're enjoying their families. They're enjoying one another. As one said, money can buy medicine but not health. Money can buy a house but not a home. Money can buy companionship but not friends. Money can buy entertainment but not happiness. Money can buy food, but not an appetite. Money can buy a bed, but not sleep. Money can buy a crucifix, but not a savior. Money can buy the good life, but not eternal life. Another said, the amassing of riches makes the life of faith practically impossible. Why? Because it is almost impossible to have riches and not trust in them. The man with money does not know how much he depends on it until he is asked to live without it. Then he knows how much he depends on it. We depend upon our money to solve all of our problems. Therefore, to give a portion of what we have to others is a very difficult thing indeed. So I want to go to Mark chapter 10, and I want you to see this with me. In Mark chapter 10, the Bible tells us Jesus is making this comment about discipleship and in verse 28 Peter speaks up and Peter says that listen Lord we have left all we've left everything and have followed you 
Now, stop there for just a moment, and I want you to understand this, because the, 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 the fact, that, that's the truth, but you need to understand facts. And at this particular point in Peter's life, these are the facts. Now, what he said is the truth, but the facts are he still had a home, he still had his business, he still had his boats that he was taking care of. They were functioning. They were operable. All right? He had all of that going on. So when Peter said, we've left everything to follow you, it doesn't mean that he no longer has a house and he's homeless and he's living on the streets because he's this follower of Jesus, that he's living in abject poverty because poverty is godliness. No, it's not. Poverty is no more godliness than a wealthy man is godliness. And so he had his boats, he had his home, he had his business. These things were still operable. So what did Peter mean when he said to Jesus, we left everything to follow you? This is what he meant. There is nothing that I own or possess that will stand in my way of doing what you want to do with my life. Nothing is going to come between that. I'm going to follow you. And that means that my fishing business is second. My home is second. You are first. You are the priority. And that's what Peter meant. And, and so I ask that of you. Question your life with that. You've got things in your life. Maybe you have riches in your life. You can have riches. You can have money. There's no sin in that. But the Bible says don't trust in it. Don't put your faith in it. Put your faith in God and so you ask yourself that question, how much do, does my possessions or my career or the things that I have interfere with what God wants to do with my life? I'd give an illustration of this with Bill Nipper, great man of faith, incredible mechanic, a master mechanic, can fix practically anything. Worked for some of the greatest companies here in Baton Rouge but for his ability to serve God, to live for God, to do the will of God for his life, he took a step of faith and he just opened a shop up at his house and he said, you know what, I'm just going to trust the Lord to send me business, but I want to go to Israel and I want to serve Jesus. I want to go to New York and I want to work for, for, for the uh, ministering and witnessing to the Jewish people to come to Jesus Christ. I want to be able to serve God, serve the church, do missions. Right, Bill? That's what he wanted to do. Took a huge step of faith, a huge cut in salary, and they're more happy today than they've ever been. They're serving Jesus, just got back from Israel, about to go to Brooklyn, New York, to witness to the Jewish people on the streets of Brooklyn, serving God, building up treasure in heaven, because he did not allow his profession to interfere with his calling. And he's happy. And he's provided, he has everything and more. He has a beautiful home. He's, he's, he's got beautiful things, but he doesn't love those things. And, and so I just use that as a testimony because I, I think it's absolutely incredible. And so Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus answered and he said to them, verily I say to you, now, these are the consequences. You don't have to have this. Listen, stop. Stop for a minute before we read. Listen to me. You don't have to leave everything. 
You don't have to put your faith in Jesus. You don't have to trust in the living God. You can put all of your confidence in your money. You can do that. But the consequences are you will drown in sorrow. You will suffer. You will be alienated from family. There will be, there will be hardships in your life. There will be all types of things that go on. Or you can make the choice of faith that I'm going to follow Jesus first and foremost. And then these consequences can be mine. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a faith issue. And so he says in verse 29, no man that has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. And for some of you, the time is running out. Time is running out to make that choice and to be able to receive those benefits because he not only talks about this present world, but he talks about the eternal world. And I celebrate that. I celebrate the fact that this word is true. Carla and I made a decision many, many years ago. She's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. If I went on one of these lifeline shows or whatever, I'd, I'd want her to help be, be a lifeline to answer a question. I help her get through day to day, but she knows the books, you know, and so all of that and just the potential of what she could be doing and what she could be making in the world. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure it would be an incredible amount of money. I, I, I would think that there would be a potential for me to make a lot more money than I'm making and I have made in my life. But we made a decision to put God first and to accept the call of God in our life. And when we accepted that call of God, there was never a moment in our life, never a moment in our life that we ever went without. At the moment of need, God met it. God supplied it. We've taken our children to almost, almost all over the world. I have traveled all over the United States. I've traveled many, many countries of the world, over 30-something countries of the world. Right now, I could practically call any state in, in, in the United States, and I have a house to stay in, and I've got a car to drive. I could, I could go to over 30-something countries right now, make a phone call, I've got a house to stay in, and I've got a chauffeur to take me around. But I don't have to pay the mortgage and I don't have to pay the insurance and I don't have to do any of those things because it is the blessing of the family of God. And Jesus is right. He's true when he says those things to our life. God blesses us and it's an adventure. It is an incredible adventure to walk with God and serve God. This, this isn't for preachers. This is for anybody. Anybody, you don't have to quit your job and go to India. You don't have to do, no, you're working your job. You're doing your thing, but you're not letting anything come between you and God. Bill's still doing his job. He's got a shop at his home and he's doing mechanics and he's fixing cars and he's, he's still doing those things. He's still working his work. 
But he's able to do the things of God and he's living an adventure and he's living a joyful life. Right? Thank you. And so in Mark chapter 12, um, I, I want to read this with you, Go, going on a little bit more about finances. In Mark 12, verse 41, <clears throat> this is a, uh, a very important scripture here. Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing, which I have no idea what any of that is. So she gave a little bit, maybe two pennies. And he called to him his disciples, and he said to them, Verily I say to you, that this poor widow has cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. It's, it's, I think what Jesus is saying is that she gave more than all of them combined. Not that just on an individual matter with other individuals she gave more. But he's saying she, with her two cents, gave more than all of the rich people combined. Now, that's not the way we would judge that. We would celebrate the rich person. Praise them. Honor them. Put a plaque on a chair in their honor. But not Jesus. Because he doesn't gauge by how much you give, but rather how much you have after you give. The percentage of it. It's the percentage of the giving that Jesus is looking at. And there's some of you that have more riches than others. And praise God, in the economy of God, He's not judging you on the amount that you give, but the percent that you give. And you may not have a lot, but in God's eyes, you could give more than anybody else. And that matters because God is engaged with you on the basis of grace, according to the Bible, to open up the windows of heaven upon your life and to bless you and to bless your home and to bless your family. And so we pick up with this in verse 43. He said, I say to you, this poor widow has cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. So, so here it is. Here, here, here's a test of this. Um, the Lord blesses you with a dime. You, you earned a dime, and your tithe is a penny. Is it hard to give? You can give a penny. Do you question where you should give it? Do you maybe split the penny up into different areas and give some here and give some there and do something? No, it's it's a penny. It's it's just throw it in the plate. The Lord blesses you with a dollar. 
and your tithe, you give a dime. Is that hard to do? The Lord blesses you with $10. You give a dollar. Is that hard to do? No, it's just a dollar. The, bl- the Lord bless you with $100. You give 10 bucks. Do you wonder where am I going to get my $10? I got to spread it around. It's a lot of money. Got to spread it around. I'm, I'll give 10 over here and I'll, or I'll give five here and I'll give three over there and I'll give two to this. No, 10 bucks, you know, it's just, I'll just put it in the offering plate. Don't even need a tax receipt for it. I mean, really, what, what good is that going to... Just take it. I'll just put it in there. It's fine. Nobody even has to know. It's just $10. The Lord gives you $1,000, and you give $100. Now it's a little bit more. Oh, 100 bucks. That's a lot of money. You know, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that with it. And let's say the Lord gives you a million dollars, and now you've got a $100,000 tithe. That's a big deal. I don't know that I can write a $100,000 check and just give that all in one place as though you know what God is about to require that church to do. And he blessed you in order to do what he wants to do through that church. But because we're the Lord of our money and not God, We decide how we give it, when we give it, where we give it. And because $100,000 is a lot of money, I'm going to choose to give some here and I'm going to give some there and I'm going to give some over here. And I really don't think I'm going to give $100,000 right now because that's a lot of money. So maybe I'll just give $25,000 of that. And we treat that money so differently than we did the penny. But God looks at it, the man who made a million that's given a hundred thousand, and the man who made a dime who's giving a penny. And the Lord looks at both of those gifts exactly the same, but he sees what we clever rich people do with our money. And he sees what that poor person who's grateful to have what they have and to give it to God gives it. And God decides Who gave what and how it honored him or did not honor him. And so that's what Jesus is looking at. Honestly, you see that. These rich people obviously gave more than two mites. But what he's looking at is the percentage of that. And so I I think it would be wise of us to understand that our giving is not to be done when it's convenient. That's giving out of our abundance. But our giving should should be done in such a way that even when it costs me something, when it digs into something, maybe I'm going to have to do without something in my life. Do I believe that the work of God, do I believe that missions is worth that in order to give that, to be a part of that? And so we, we begin to consider some of those things. Voltaire, who was one of the great... Uh, atheist and infidels of the past he watched christianity and he watched the world and he said this has fueled my animosity towards god probably more than anything else because i hear the professions of christians but all i have to do is watch them in this one matter and i can tell you whether they believe god's real or not and voltaire said this when it comes to many Money, all men are of the same religion. 
That's what he learned. We're all our own God. And we all worship ourselves. That's what Voltaire believed. I say let's prove him wrong. He's not around today to witness that. But there are other modern day Voltaires that are. So I want to... I want to just ask you this, and I'm going to conclude in Luke 16. Um, So if you turn there, this is a very tricky passage that a lot of people struggle with. And I want to speak to you for about it as I close. I want to test, give you a little test of your character. And and this, this is the test. It's just simple. Do you view your money... As your rightful recompense, your wages earned, or do you view it as God's blessing to your life? Honestly, how do you view it? Is it yours because you worked for it, or is it God's? And I will remind you of Deuteronomy 8.18 that says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He that gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. The very ability that you have to work is a gift from God. And so... I would have to say, it's not mine. It's his. My very life is his. The second question I ask is this. Does pleasure and preference rule your giving? Or does your desire for God and his kingdom... Do you decide when, where, and how to give? Or does the Bible? Does the Bible make that decision for you? Do you give weekly or as you have prospered? At least 10%. And, and, and maybe you don't. Maybe that's, a, that's just a hard thing for you. Start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Of a consistent attitude of faith towards God, that I'm, I'm going to begin somewhere and I'm going to trust the Lord to give me his grace to go way beyond 10% one day. There are four types of people when it comes to giving. One type is the Nabal. This is a man in the Bible that um, had an incredible successful farm and There was a time when David came around asking for provisions and Nabal just kind of put his nose up in the air towards David. Why should I give anything to David? Little did this man Nabal know how many times David defended his property from the Philistine raiders. Numbers of times David cared for his property While this man slept in his bed peacefully at night, harvest his crops without any problem because David was risking his life to preserve the farms of Israel. 
And when David wanted a little bit of nourishment for he and his men, Nabal stuck his nose up in the air towards David as though, what has David ever done for me? I built this farm. I worked it. With my own two hands, I created all of this. I'm not giving David anything. And that's the way some people feel towards God. Why do I have to give anything to God? I worked for this money. I studied. I went to school. I graduated. I've slaved. I get up on Mondays through Wednesdays and go to work and do all these. Why should I give anything to God for this? And we have no idea how often God has intervened for us to protect us from a sickness, an illness, an attack of hell against our life. And not long after that, Nabal would die. He would be judged. And I'm not prophesying death on anybody. I'm just saying what happened to him. The other giver is Abigail. Abigail was Nabal's wife. And Abigail recognized what David did. And she also recognized the wrath of the king. And so Abigail, who did not have access to Nabal's money and to Nabal's wealth and didn't have the liberty to take from him whatever she wanted to appease David, she gathered what she could. She gathered what belonged to her. She gathered provisions that she had access to in Nabal's house and put them on a cart and brought them to David and said, David, please accept this as my offering to you. My husband is a fool. And David accepted it. And that's sometimes what a lot of women have done that I've experienced through the years who are married to a man that doesn't really give. And sometimes a lady would take what she has, what she can, and she will give a portion of that to God because she wants to honor God. What a great heart. What a great giver. There's the giving of Cain. Cain is the type of giver who basically says to God that I'm going to give you what I want and you should accept it. Even though God told Cain what to bring, Cain said, I don't want to bring that. I'm going to give God this. And it's good for me, and it ought to be good for God. But it wasn't good for God. He didn't accept it. God is the God, right? Not us. And then the last one is Mary. Mary is the one who gives her all out of love beforehand. And what a testimony that is. Because a lot of times there are people in the church that says, you know, I'm going to start giving one day. When I'm better set, when I'm better fixed, I'm going to start giving. Don't you understand that your inability to have that one day get here is to have the blessing of God upon you. You're trusting in yourself and your ingenuity and your work ability to increase your wealth, to get you out of a hole that the Bible says the hole is the trap of the enemy because you're chasing wealth. And if you want to get out of it, just begin to give to the Lord. And so a lot of people say, one day I'm going to give. One day I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to do that. But the Marys are the ones who give out of love beforehand. And a lot of women went to the tomb of Jesus with all of their ointments and spices to anoint the body of Jesus. But they didn't get to. Only Mary. Because she did it beforehand beforehand. And so I want to close with this in Luke 16, verse 8. Or, or we'll back up just a little bit. In this story in Luke 16 is a man 
who was a steward of his master's possessions. And, this, and the master had distributed his possessions. He, he had made loans. He had given commodities away. And this steward was to get the return back, but the steward didn't do it. The steward was lazy. He didn't do it. So he understood that the master was about to call him in for his to account for all of the property the steward was responsible for. And the steward realized, I've been lazy with this. I haven't done anything. And my master is going to fire me. I'm not going to have a job anymore. And the one thing that steward keeps saying is, I can't beg. I can't beg. I can't beg. And this steward becomes very concerned about his future because he knows he's about to be kicked out to the street. So what he does is, is he goes to all of these people who had received loans and commodities from his master. And he said, listen, what, what did you get from my master? And he said, I had like a hundred bushels of wheat I got from your master. He said, okay, good. Give me 60 bushels back and let's call it even. And he went to another one and maybe had these cruises of oil or whatever it might be or some money. Oh, I owed you, I borrowed $5,000 from your master. And, and the steward says, okay, you borrowed 5000 from the master. Give me 3500 back and we'll call it even. And he settled the debt and he settled the books. And Jesus calls this man wise because this man, if, 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 this is the motive. Understand the motive. This man is worried about his future. He's worried about the fact that I'm about to be fired. I'm about to be kicked out on the streets. I can't beg. So what can I do? I'm going to put myself in good favor with all of these people that owe my master something. So when he kicks me out, they'll receive me. I've got a future. I've got somewhere to go. I've got somewhere to sleep. I've got someone who's going to help me because I helped them. My master's done with me. And so this is what he did. And then if you look at this, 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 this passage in verse 8, the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Carly, you can come up. The children, listen to that, so amazing. The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And this is what that means in regards to this. The word wise or wiser means mindful of one's interest. In this generation, the children of the world are wiser. They're more mindful of their own interest than the children of light in this generation. The children of light are not mindful of their interest. They really aren't. Jesus said that. The kingdom of God, laying up treasures in heaven, we're not mindful of that. We're not mindful of being rich in, in good works and hospitality and serving and giving with heaven in set in our minds. Looking at our future, what is my future going to look like? What's it going to look like when I step into heaven? And Jesus actually said, lay treasures up for yourselves in heaven. Have I done that? Am I mindful of that? Have, have I spent my life to acquire wealth in a world that is not easy to live in? 
that doesn't give the return on the dividends that I have so that I could live comfortably for what, 60, 70, 80 years and, and get as much of this out as I can. But I haven't been mindful of heaven. I haven't been mindful of laying up treasures for myself in heaven. What does that even mean? We, we're not mindful of that. I would, be, I, would, I would probably assume that the, most of us in this room don't think about that on a weekly basis. Laying ourselves treasures up in heaven. So, so what's it going to look like? What, what is your future going to look like? When, when you go, what does it mean to, to not have a treasure in heaven? What does that mean? What does it mean to have a treasure in heaven? I don't know. I don't know what that means. But I do know that Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He said that. And he told us how to do that. And I want to be mindful of that. I would rather be poor for 70 or 80 years and have these treasures in heaven eternally, whatever that means. But there'll be some that don't have these treasures in heaven. What will that look like? I don't know. I don't want it to be me. I can't beg. I can't beg. I can't beg. So I'm going to serve the master. I'm going to give an answer to him. When he calls me in as a steward, what have I done? I want to give him an answer to that, what I've done. I want to prepare for my future. And our future is not this world. But the children of this world, their future is this world. They're all into it. The IRAs, the investments, the Bitcoin stuff that was in the past, all of these things, they're all into it. Retirements and homes and houses, they're all into it. The children of this world are because this is their life. But this is not our life. But how rare do we live for what we say our life is? So like the wise steward, you and I can become wise today. We can become wise now. And we can begin to pursue this through the Holy Spirit on being a person that has riches. How do I use them for the kingdom? And I've got a career and I've got, I've got things, but how do I live in such a way that these things don't get in the way of doing the will of God, but they help me accomplish the will of God, right? You can start right there. And I would encourage you to do it. Father, I, th- I thank you that you have called us into the body of Christ to serve you and to be able to function in the body of Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that the greatest givers do not have to have the most money. I thank you that you honored that widow who gave two mites. You honored her. You watched. You saw. Giving was a public matter. It wasn't private. It wasn't just something off in secret. Everyone was watching what people were giving. It was an act of worship. Father, help us to worship you like that widow did. To honor you, God, like that widow did. To thank you for the money that we have, the riches that we have. I thank you for that. I appreciate these nice things that we have been privileged to live with in America. They may, go, they may be gone soon. Our contentment is you. Our hope is you. Our wealth is you. I just ask you to take a moment 
and answer those two questions. How can I use my riches to help the kingdom of God? And how can I make sure that nothing's coming between me from doing God's work? presence and the blessing of his kingdom on your life. Take a few minutes and just consider that before we leave.